Thank you, Kayla. Good morning, Forest View. My name is Lois Francis. I'm on the teaching team here at Forest View. And first, can I just say we miss you? Uh, the staff, the leadership team, the prayer team, we are all praying for you, um, many of you by name. Now, I'm an extrovert, so on these last past few Sunday mornings, I've just wanted to jump through every screen as I've seen your beautiful faces, sit down with you, and basically eat whatever you're eating. I, I think we're about in week seven of this COVID shutdown, and there's a lot of projections about what the future return to normalcy will be like. So it's rather fitting then that we are looking at the young church of Philippi, which was under constant threat, and their leader, Paul, who's writing this wonderful letter to the Philippians from his cell in prison. Now, in the first couple of weeks of our series on Life Together, Nat has been unpacking beautifully the significance of grace and peace. This idea of a new community that's forged by the Spirit and that it has nothing to do with social, uh, economic, or cultural barriers. It's all about a new inclusiveness, a unity of the Spirit in Christ Jesus, that anybody who is willing can come. I want to give you this morning, just first of all, a brief rundown on the history of the Philippian church. Now, the Apostle Paul, that Pharisees of Phar of the Pharisee of Pharisees and Christian hater, is now a believer himself. He arrives in Philippi with Silas and a team. And Philippi is a Roman colony. It's about 10,000 people strong. Many of them are retired Roman military. So it is a very Gentile, very pagan community, lots of idol worship. If you want the full backstory, just head over to Acts 16, which reads like a fast-paced novel. There's no Jewish synagogue in Philippi, so Paul and his friends end up going down by the river to find a prayer meeting. And who do they find? A group of women praying. That's quite a cultural shift for Paul. Um, in that group, there's a wealthy and God-fearing businesswoman named Lydia. She hears the message, believes it, and the church of Philippi has a home base from her, from her house. So on a side note, never under, underestimate what God can do at a prayer meeting. So Philippi becomes the site of what ends up to be the first Christian church of Europe. Now Paul and Silas spend some time there. We don't know how long that time period is. It could be weeks, maybe months. But once again, Paul and Silas are on their way to prayer. And they have an encounter with a demon-possessed slave girl. The Holy Spirit really starts making waves because this, this young woman is exercised of the, of the demon. And Paul and Silas raise a lot of ire in the community. They end up getting arrested, severely beaten, and tossed into prison. And as, what, as you do in such times, they hold a two-man worship and prayer meeting in jail. And the jailer and all the prisoners are listening. I mean, it is literally a captive audience. And it becomes a total rout as God shows up and physically shakes the place. The result is the jailer and his family are saved, and I can't help but think that a lot of those other prisoners were as well. So contrary to the plan of the powers that be, the church at Philippi grows and is strengthened. You can bet that this story spread like wildfire in that community and that the government was watching. Now, most scholars accept that 
Paul's missionary journey here happened around AD 45 to 50. And it's now, this letter is probably written around um, AD 55, 56. And once again, Paul is in big trouble, maybe even in more serious trouble. He's writing to them from prison, awaiting trial which could result in the death sentence. All of which makes the content, focus, and tone of this letter all the more astonishing. So let's look at our text this morning, which is Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 to 5. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I just want to focus on a couple of things here. All my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. First of all, Paul is praying for this church a lot, and by name probably. And I also love the fact that for Paul, just thinking about these believers, his thoughts automatically turn to prayers. And in the case of the Philippian church, prayers with thanksgiving, with joy. If it were me writing from a prison cell to you, my Forest View family, I would definitely have included more of the graphic details of the tough physical conditions I was in. The brutal guards, the lack of food and water, the confinement, any illness I was experiencing. So what's with Paul leading with a joyful thanksgiving in prayer when the reason he's there is because he's been faithful to share the gospel with people? Today we have been celebrating Mother's Day. I hope it's been a great morning so far, moms. It's probably safe to say to all of the parents listening to this that none of us embarked on uh, the parenting journey with a lot of experience. There was a lot of blind faith involved. Parenting can actually be quite a scary thing. We cringe when we see our kids uh, exhibiting some of our <clears throat> not-so-nice character flaws. But then there are those amazing moments Maybe it happened to you this morning when you got the homemade card or the hand-picked dandelions. Or maybe there are times when you've noticed your kids committing random acts of kindness, being nice to that brother and sister that they usually fight with. Or they're older and they're making decisions of integrity and things that really show that they're grasping, uh, that they're becoming mature. And all of a sudden your head clears the forest and you think, Oh my goodness, all the prayers, the fears, the tears I have had for these kids, they are so worth it. I see that they're growing up. It certainly is human nature that if we can connect our sufferings with meaning, it makes a huge difference to us. And that not many of us would choose to suffer unless we understood the value derived from it. Now, the Apostle Paul has suffered deeply for this church, but the joy is come from the fruit that he sees. He sees that the gospel is continuing to transform and bring unity to this disparate group of people. Their commitment to Christ is proving true and lasting, and it floored me that they're only like five or six old, years old spiritually. Okay, we know this. Praying with thanksgiving, that's nice. It's great for the kids. But Paul here is writing to the adult leaders of the churches. We pragmatic Westerners may think, come on, Paul, what are you on about? 
I mean, what does prayer with thanksgiving actually achieve? One source that I referenced said that Paul's writings mention thanksgiving about 46 times, and a lot of that comes in his prison letters. He says, we always thank God for all of you. In th to the Thessalonians, he says, in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. To the Corinthian church, Paul says that when more and more people come to saving faith in Christ, thanksgiving overflows to the glory of God. Okay, I get it. But isn't it fake to thank God when you feel anything but thankful? It seems to me that thanksgiving is both a gift of grace and a cultivated discipline. I mean, obviously, there are times when thanksgiving, thanksgiving overflows in us because we can see. But a lot of other times, it's this deliberate choice that we're making to stay present to the reality of Jesus with us by his Spirit. It's a way to stay open to what the Spirit is doing in spite of how things look to us. So in those times especially, I think, Thanksgiving is a means of anchoring our faith. It's realizing the ultimate and sure truth that Jesus is always with us. And in Philippians 3, it's interesting to note that after Paul has mentioned some of the significant challenges that this particular church is facing, he says, guys, in case you missed the point, I'm telling you again, rejoice in the Lord. It's not hard for me, and it is a safeguard for you. My translation, to pray with thanksgiving is a means of grace as well as a defensive tool that protects us from undue worry and despair. Thanksgiving in everything reminds us of the truth that Jesus by his Holy Spirit is still at work. The second big theme that I want to mention is that Paul's relationship with the Philippians was a partnership in the fullest sense. You've probably heard of this word koinonia, the Greek word. It can be translated fellowship, communion, close relationship, participation. This is not, these are not casual exchanges over coffee before or after church. This Greek word was used to describe, for example, the deep commitment of a marriage relationship. It's the same Greek word that's used in Acts 2:42 where it says that the new believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. In other words, this is rich, deep, devoted, sacrificial community. And I think there were three aspects to this quality of fellowship that totally blessed Paul as their spiritual father. The first is, he saw the grace of God at work in their unity. It was proof that the Holy Spirit was with them. I mean, again, you think of who we know is in this church. Women, a wealthy businesswoman. There was the jailer and his family. And actually, I do wonder if that, that slave girl and some of those ex-cons were now part of this fledgling community. Second, Paul was blessed by their close partnership in prayer in the fact that they shared leadership resources, and we know of that because Timothy and Epaphroditus, who were close associates of Paul, were going back and forth between him and this church. But also the financial support that the Philippian church was providing. Paul's gratitude 
uh, for their generous gift was one of the chief reasons for this letter. And Paul would say later in this letter to them that no other church had partnered with him in the matter of giving and receiving except you, you Philippians, alone. Thirdly, the Philippian church accepted suffering for Christ and their endurance marked them as true followers of Jesus. Obviously, the more the church grew in the first century, the more they were perceived as a threat by Roman authorities. So the Philippians were suffering persecution, job loss, jail time. Okay, what about us? You could argue here that Paul and the church's example here don't really apply to what we're experiencing now. I mean, their suffering is epic. We have internet, we have food, we go for walks. So, but I think the bigger question here is, as human beings living this life, we all will suffer in many different ways. As followers of Jesus, how do we learn to, suffer, to handle suffering well? How do we find meaning during these times so that we can keep going? We know that our strength comes from Christ, yes, but how do we live and access that on a daily basis? Could it be that the practice of praying for fellow believers with thankfulness is more significant than we ever thought? And that intentionally pursuing life together in Christ with our fellow believers here will help us go the distance spiritually? What a concept. In this season of COVID, I've recognized some things about myself. First, like many of you, I've realized how closely my identity is still tied up to completing tasks. I mean, it's good to work. But if you're constantly feeling guilty about ever stopping, if you as well have experienced that sort of low grade or that constant inner churning, this general anxiety to fit in one more thing to validate yourself, you understand the kind of tyranny I'm talking about. An excessive busyness in our culture is a virtue. It's an idol that hides in plain sight. It is deeply embedded in our cultural ethos. Dallas Willard said something like, the relentless pursuit of hurry is the greatest enemy to an authentic life in God. And it's hit me the last couple of weeks. One of my favorite songs that Christy leads us in is, Be Still and Know. But how can I know if I can't or won't be still, if I won't give myself the gift that God gives me of resting and delighting in his love for me and in the love that we share as a community. So Forest View family, wherever you are, may you rest in the Lord's love for you today and understand that it's worth thinking about these seemingly little things and to give thanks in prayer to God for others. That it's a means of grace, it fosters the unity of the church, it is a safeguard for our soul's health and growth. Nurturing our fellowship on a deeper level so that we can all go the distance in Christ to his glory. As we turn now to communion, I think about what the what the Apostle Peter says about us. I mean, we're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, 
And at the same time, we're this motley group of stones, of living stones that are being built together as a spiritual house to God, which means we're getting ground up and shaped by each other, and we're still not mature. And while it's not always convenient or easy to be part of a church, for sure, it is part of what we are called into, with Jesus himself as our sure foundation. So this morning, take whatever is your equivalent of the bread, and the juice, and we do this a lot at Forest View in order to, to, to take that moment and to let the Holy Spirit work in us, that we're all equal at the foot of the cross, that our need for him is constant, and that he has finished the work. So together, with, alone with your family, let's take and eat.